the title of the message this evening is The Certainty of Seeing God in Our Flesh. Uh, please turn to Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the word, please. We'll go ahead and read the entire chapter. Job 19 and verse 1. Then Job answered and said, How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have ye reproached me. You are not ashamed that you make yourself strange to me. And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed you will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone. My hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops came together and raised up their way against me, and encamped round about my tabernacle. He hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in my house, and my maids count me for a stranger. I am alien in their sight. I called my servant, and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Yea, young children despise me. I arose and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, yo ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do you persecute me as God, and are not satisfied with my flesh? And this is where our main uh, passage is that we'll look at tonight. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another. Though my reins be consumed within me. But you should say, why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword, that you may know that there is judgment. Let's look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to be in your house tonight. We're thankful for your word, for the promises that are in it. How lost we would be in this life if it were not for your promises and for the word that you preserved that we might have. I pray that as I preach this evening that you would Help me to be removed from the way that you would just speak through me. And I pray that your word would be received and be an encouragement to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, of course, we're familiar with the, with the story of Job. How it was that um, God allowed uh, Satan to come against him. And we are familiar with how it is that all of his children were taken He was the wealthiest man. All of his possessions were taken. Uh, His own wife turned against him. And then even his health was taken. And here he is, his friends uh, come to him, and then they even end up being 
a problem for him. And they're not the help that they should be. And uh, as we look at this and we consider the life of Job, um, this passage here is a special passage. And I was caused to reflect on it this last uh, couple weeks when I was in Oklahoma. Um, I didn't read it. I just was caused to remember it. And I appreciate how it is that when you do have the Word of God in your heart, when you're going through hard times or there's certain things that cause you to think about things and, and the Scripture will come to you and speak to you. And, and as I began to ponder this passage, um, I wanted to share uh, this message with you. But I was struck, as you know, my grandma uh, went to be with the Lord in the last couple of weeks. But um, when I first went to see her when I was in Oklahoma, she was 94 years old and uh, um, she had just gotten out of the hospital. She had just gone into hospice. And when I first walked into the room, uh, my uncle was in there, but she was uh, sleeping. She had not really been awake very much in the past few days. And uh, to be quite honest, I was shocked by what I saw. Um, the last time I had seen her a couple of years ago, yes, she was elderly, but she wasn't in the shape that she was in. If you know what I'm saying, when, when people in that stage of life, they stop eating and their body stops functioning. Um, indeed, they they lose so much weight. And um, she just didn't look like the same person. And of course, she was asleep. But um, it was it was shocking for me to see her there. And and you know, this is a, a lady who uh, trusted in the Lord as her. I read the obituary at the funeral, and um, she trusted the Lord when she was twelve years old. That means she was saved from the time she was ni- uh, from uh, 1936. She'd been a child of God from 1936 until 2022. Think about that. And uh, um, she was an influence uh, toward my granddad wasn't saved when they met. And she was going to a Baptist church and, and he ended up, we, in fact, we found a letter uh, when we were going through things at the funeral. There was a typed letter from grandpa and he had written it to his parents. And... Uh, um, you know, he's in the Navy, he's young, he was stationed at Treasure Island, this is in San Francisco, and, uh, oh, and in the letter, he was telling his parents, now he didn't go to church, I think his mom might have been Methodist or whatever, but it wasn't really a Christian family, and, and, but in the letter he said, I'm going to be going with a friend of mine to a Baptist church in San Francisco, and I'm pretty sure that that's, uh, that's where they met, and so we were kind of putting two and two together in this letter, it was just before they had met but she was influential in him being saved. Well, he ended up becoming a preacher. And then my dad ended up becoming a preacher. And so many people got saved. And at that funeral, even people that weren't family, there's so many people that were testifying about how it was that they had an impact. She had an impact on their life. And and so I know this and I'm thinking about how here is a woman who who is very godly, lived her life as a godly person. And yet here we are, she is at the, the end of her life. And, you know, the suffering is great. And it was, it's hard to see people in that way. You know, a lot of times we, we strive and we want to live to be 90. We want to live to be 100. We want to, but a lot of times even then when you get there, it's rough, right? It can be very difficult. And we all go through our difficulties in different ways. But as I was there and she's in hospice and and we knew that it was just a matter of days it struck me that the reason she's in that state and the reason that we all are going to be in that state we all are going to die at some point 
And the reason for that is though, oh, even though we're born again, we're sinners. If it wasn't for sin, this wouldn't be taking place. And she would readily confess, even though she was a child of God, she would confess, yes, I'm a sinner. But as Job said, I have a redeemer, right? And that's the important thing is that, and so I was thinking about this as I was seeing her, this passage that Job said. And he says, oh, that my words were now written. And by the way, the song that she had requested be sung at her funeral was, um, it is well with my soul. She had actually requested that my sister Charity, who is an awesome pianist, play it with her son Damon, who can really play the violin well. Well, he couldn't come, and so my sister asked that the congregation sing along with Charity playing the piano, but it was her, um, her favorite song, and she wanted that as a testimony. And when you think about the words in that song, how it is that my sins nailed to the cross, right? I bear them no more. And so that's how it was. Well, consider the words of Job. He said, oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. Verse 24, that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Now Job, um, we know by finishing reading the book, that he looked like he was about to die. He said oh, that his, his skin and his flesh, or his, his, uh, his bone cleaves to his skin. And he says, I am escaped by the skin of my teeth. He, in his mind, he was on death's door, right? He was, he was at the end of his rope. His own friends, when they saw him, he was unrecognizable to them. And uh, so he, he thought that he was at the end. But here is his hope. And it really rests in the fact that his Redeemer liveth. But I want to, before I get into what he knew, I want to consider what Job and his friends speculated throughout his trials. They, they spent, if you read the book of Job, there's this constant, why is this happening, right? Oh, you must be a sinner, Job. Job is concerned with, well, God is surely punishing me for something or or whatever, and uh, Job really wasn't wrong in most of what he said, but he still had a lot to learn, as we see in the end of Job. But in this very passage, note earlier what Job said about God concerning himself. Verse 6, he says, Know that God hath overthrown me, and hath compassed me with his net. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. Now, is that true? When he says, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. God heard him. The Lord heard him. And, uh, but he feels that way. And isn't that how we are we're, when, we're, when we're in the midst of, of trials and tribulations and, and things are going horribly. And uh, sometimes it can feel like perhaps even God is against me. I don't know why, but maybe God's against me. Am I, am I, um, am I being uh, um, chastened? Is this a test? Oh, but all he knows is God's against him. He knows God's in, do we not know that God is in control of all things? And if God is in control of all things, then why is this befallen me? And so we begin to question and wonder why. He said, and we feel like we're not heard sometimes. Um, he says, this is speaking of God. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass. And he has set my darkness in my paths. 
He stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side and I am gone. My hope has he removed like a tree. He has also kindled his wrath against me. Is that true? No. We know from the account, we'll look at it in a minute, but we know from the account what really was going on. God wasn't angry with Job. That's not why this was happening. But that's, that's all he can surmise is if this must be the case. He, hath count, he counted me unto him as one of his enemies. That's definitely not ever true. If you're a child of God, you're not one of God's enemies. But this is how we can get. He hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintances are very, verily estranged from me. This was all of Job's uncertainty. Job didn't know, like we know from reading the book of Job, what was going on behind the scenes. But Job didn't know that. Job had no idea what had gone on in heaven. He knew nothing about Satan and what he was doing. And uh, we often, we feel like we need to know the why. Why God? Why is this happening? We know that God allowed it all. Uh, We know now because of what God has revealed in his word that the Lord allowed this to come upon Job. But it didn't come upon Job because he was angry with him or Job was his enemy or any of that. Oh, Uh, You know, God could have never allowed any of it if he had so chose. Or he could have allowed only part of the trials. Remember, in the beginning, Job's health wasn't attacked. He took his children. He took his property. He took his cattle. All these things were taken. And then the Lord said, well, let's just just go there. Let's go to Job chapter 2. Let's just read that account. In Job chapter 2 and verse 1. <clears throat> so Job has already suffered so many things. And if we go to chapter uh, 1 and verse 20, it says, And Job arose after his many afflictions. He arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell on upon the ground, and notice this, and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence camest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Now I'll just pause there. Uh, Does that passage sound familiar? Is anything changed? about Satan going to and fro. Doesn't First Peter or Second Peter, one of those, say that Satan goeth about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? He was doing it back then. He's still doing it today. And so um, he says, uh, And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? Now notice, he, he's not angry with him. He, he's praising Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man. One that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest against him, movest against, movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Now, that's true uh, for lost people. Think about it. Uh, Satan knows the human nature. He knows what, what goes on. But consider how many people, how many of God's people 
have willingly gone to be burned at the stake? How many of God's people have, you think of Stephen being stoned. You think of how many saints, when, when God has worked a change in a man's life, these things that Satan is going, he's making a general statement about man, but that doesn't apply to the people of God. And so here is, here's Job. He says, Yea, all that a man hath, he will skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. And so we see here that we can read, this is what happened. This is why it was going on. But imagine being Job, not knowing what is going on. All he can do is speculate and wonder and pray and, uh, and give it over to the Lord. But he had cried. He says, I cried, but there is none to hear. And so sometimes we do get to that point where it feels like the Lord doesn't hear. And then I want us to also notice concerning his uncertainty and his, his fears and so forth. Job continues through this passage to lay out all his loss. And sometimes that's what we can get focused on and we can be distracted by. We just start listing off all these things that have befallen us. And it's just, it seems like just once things start going, then they just pile on and pile on. But he says, those who remain alive are distant to him. He says in verse 14, my kinfolk have failed. His servants treated him like a stranger, he says. His wife resents and has disowned him. Young children despised him. His body has failed him. He says, my bone claveth to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. But I want to know, notice his certainty. When, it's all, when it all boils down, and I don't know about all this. I don't know about why things happen. I don't know what's going on. But here's one thing I know. This one thing I know. He says, for I know, in verse 25, that my Redeemer liveth. Yes. And he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He doesn't just stop with, I know my Redeemer liveth. He goes on. I know that my Redeemer liveth, comma, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And that's not the end of the sentence. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. God has not told us exactly why losses and seeming failures will occur. As I've already mentioned, we wonder a lot of times, is it, is it chastening? Well, the Lord, we have, the Lord chastens those whom He loves. It's good to, to do some, I don't know if the soul searching is the right word, but to, to do some reflection and consider, am I living for the Lord? Have I sinned against the Lord? Is there something I know that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just forgive us our sins and to cleanse us for all, all unrighteousness? And that verse is written for saved people. That's not how you get saved. It's confessing your sins, okay? And so, is there anything that I have not brought to the Lord? You know, and so we wonder, is this chastening? But it's not always chastening. Sometimes... It seems like the people who walk so close to the Lord, 
We know people. We could, if, if, if I was to go around, we could all probably name somebody who really loves the Lord. We know they love the Lord. And it seems like their entire life has been a time of trying. Health problems or family problems or all these. And it, it's like, why? These, these other people who serve the Lord, they don't have problems in their family. In fact, God has blessed their family. And, and, and others will just year after year with health problems and so forth. And so, why is it happening? Well, we know that God loves his children, and we need to rest in that. But notice what Job says. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. What did he have? He had a living Redeemer. Think about that. Job knew he needed salvation. What's the point in a Redeemer if you don't need saved, right? If, if you, the Lord had said, consider my servant Job. He escheweth evil, he hates it, he avoids it, he's upstanding, he's upright. Um, but see, that, that was from God's perspective. God said, what would God say about you? I mean, think about that. If God was to say, you know, have you considered Austin? He's an he's a upright man. He's one that loves the Lord. And I mean, my wife knows better than that. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but, I mean, it's a sobering thing, isn't it? From God's perspective, what would God say about you? And even though God said that about Job, it didn't amount to anything, a hill of beans, it didn't amount to anything concerning his salvation. As upright as Job would be, as much as he hated evil, there's no saving value in that. Right. Job needed a redeemer. And so, and he needed a living redeemer. He was trusting in his redeemer. Consider when... He lived. This is an interesting thing. We can easily say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. How do we know that? Because we believe what the Word of God says about the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. He, he died the very gospel message. He died and He was buried and He rose again according to the Scriptures. He died for our sins. And He's now seated at the right hand of God. I mean, we know that our Redeemer liveth. But consider Job. He lived between the time of the flood and Abraham, somewhere in there. How did he know that his Redeemer lived? How did he know that he needed a Redeemer? Well, the, the story of a Redeemer begins all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, doesn't it? Yes. And, and there were preachers of righteousness. Yes. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. He prophesied. And so the story of salvation had been going on for over 2,000 years by the time Job came on the scene. And so he knew he needed a Redeemer. He was trusting in a living Redeemer. Now, does this not speak to the eternality of the Son of God. And he knew his Redeemer was alive. His Redeemer lived. Well, Jesus had not been born yet. Isn't Jesus a Redeemer? And yet, Job says, I know that my Redeemer, present tense, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And then notice what he says. Um, so he, he knew that... Um, he needed to be bought. He needed to be purchased. He needed someone who would pay his ransom. Um, and so when he's saying, I know that my Redeemer liveth, the, the one who was to pay his sin debt lived. He was alive. And then he, he also says, he says, oh, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And then he speaks to the future. 
Um, he had a Savior who he said would literally, physically stand upon the earth. Think about that. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand upon the, at the latter day upon the earth. Isn't that an amazing thing for someone like Job to be able to say that? We have the entire written Word of God. Job didn't even have the book of Genesis. Think about that. He was before Moses. He didn't have any of this. So where did he get it? You ever wonder, how did he have such faith? Well, oh, he wasn't the first one to be inspired to say this. Turn to Jude. Jude 14. In Jude 14, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam. So, he's probably, I'm guessing he's uh, 13, we'll just say he's 1,300 years prior to Job. So that's like, if Enoch would have lived in 700 AD. That's how far ahead he was of Job. And Enoch, way back then, now, how Jude knew this, you know, it's inspired word of God. Right. And uh, um, perhaps there were some writings around. Um, but he says this, Jude says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, when you read Job, and you read Enoch, doesn't it sound like they believe that their Savior was a person? Not, we know that God is a spirit, right? Jesus Christ, yes. the Word, became, became flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, right? But he had not, at this time, for the first 4,000 years of history, you know, Jesus had not appeared in the form of a man. But these Old Testament saints believed, the same as we believe, that um, God, I believe they believed that God would come in some way, God was going to come in the flesh and give himself a sacrifice and that God... As it is said to Abraham in Abraham when he went to offer Isaac, you know, God will provide himself a sacrifice. But I believe that somehow these Old Testament saints believed that God was going to provide himself a substitute. And they knew that that Redeemer had to be a man and and so forth. And so um, it's a very interesting thing. But these men were not ignorant and they knew what they believed. And that's the that's the important thing here. The comfort to Job was the same comfort that we have. In that knowing, I don't know why this thing is going on in my life. I don't know anything. (laughs) I really don't know anything. But this one thing I know. My Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand on the earth at the latter day. And so, while Jude states he is coming in judgment to execute judgment, Job recognizes that the Lord is coming... um, with his saints, his redeemer, he says, his redeemer 
will stand upon the earth. You notice the, the contrast there. Job says, Enoch says, that the Lord is coming to execute judgment. Job finds comfort in the fact that his Redeemer will stand on the earth at the latter day. Well, that message is also the same for us. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming with his saints. We believe in the rapture and he's coming with his saints. And it's very good news for us, right? That's our hope. It's very good news for us. But it's very troubling news that that same Jesus, as Paul said on Mars Hill, that same Jesus is coming as judge, right? And you see both of these in Job and Enoch. You see the message of both coming in in that way. He believed in the resurrection of the dead. He said uh, he knew his body would be destroyed, and yet he knew he would see God. In verse 27, whom I shall see for myself. So he says, I know my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And he goes on, whom I shall see for myself. And mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. This reins here is speaking of um, my organs. And what he's really saying is, though my eyes be consumed from my physical body, yet with my eyes and not the eyes of another, I will see God. Right? And he says, oh, he talks about his skin. He specifically says, those skin worms destroy this body. Now, it's kind of gross, but I'm going to share it anyway, because <laughs> it's a really good example. When I was down in Oklahoma, uh, some of you know Brandon White has a deer processing uh, facility, and uh, hunters bring their deer there and everything, and, and uh, he was out, me and Scott went over there one day, and he was out uh, finishing up cutting on this deer head, and then while we were talking to him, he carries the deer head over to a part of his property, and um, there's a hole dug. And as we're talking, he puts the deer head in the ground, and um, it still has fur, and it's got the eyes in it and everything. And I was like, and, the, and then he smooths it over, and only the antlers are sticking out. And I'm like, what's up with that? <laughs> and he says, uh, oh, he's like, you just leave it in there a few days, 10, 14 days, and he's like, you come back, and man, it's cleaned up. The, all the bugs and the worms and everything else just do their job. And then uh, he said, like, come check this out. And so we went over and looked, and he had this really nice white deer skull with the antlers coming out of it. And, and that's, how, uh, that's how you clean things up, get it right down to the bones real quick. And, uh, oh, it's kind of gross, but this is just a fact of life. Right? Our bodies, how many people in this country worship their bodies and it's all about, you know, how they look and, and trying to see how long they can live and all these things. But at the end of the day, I don't care how you cut it, you're going to die. And if you're cremated, uh, God's still going to raise you from the dead. Yep. Right? And if your skin worms destroy your body and, or if you get dumped in the ocean and the fish, fish eat you, you become fish food, and you know what happens there? It doesn't matter. Right. Because God is going to raise, raise everybody from the dead. And, uh, but he says, though all that happens, his confidence, he says, I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. Though my, basically my organs be consumed within me. 
That's true faith. It really is. But based on what? It's not blind faith. To believe in the resurrection, to believe that somehow we have no idea how God will do that, but He can. He's plenty capable, right? (laughs) He's going to raise His people from the dead and they will be able to look upon Him with their own eyes. It's not blind faith. It's based on the Word of God. It's based on the promises of God. And that's where his hope was in. His hope was in the promises of God. And so, um, God did not promise us an easy life here. We wonder why difficult things happen. Oh, because you're on planet Earth. Because we live in a sin-cursed world. That's why we suffer difficulty. But he has promised us a wonderful life there. We know that for a fact. For eternity, once we check out here, from then on. That's why when, you know, I I got the text concerning my grandma. And it said, you know, um, she went to be with the Lord at 9.20 p.m. And I was actually relieved. I was actually happy for her. Because I knew that she was no longer suffering. And from here on, from this point on, it's all good. Right? And she's with the Lord, and there's never going to be any more tears, no more sorrow, and all these things. We base that on what the Word of God has to say. So 1 John 3 says this, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. So he said, we don't know, it's what I was just talking about. We don't really know how this is going to work out. It does, it, he says, it does not yet appear what we shall be. And how many times do we sit around and we wonder about what it's going to be like in heaven. You know, we, we try to picture it. You think we're going to spend time visiting with family or old friends? or uh, Of course, the main thing we want to see is the Lord Jesus Christ, but we talk about all, all kinds of things about how it will be. And he says, we, we don't know how it will be, but we know that when he shall appear, this is what we do know, is when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him, as he is. Amen. Now I'll just throw this in. It says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. There's something sobering in that that we should consider. There's a lot of people that talk about wanting to go to heaven. They look forward, they'll say, Oh, it's, I mean, most of the time when this passage is read, just that previous verse, verse 2 is read. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. End of story. But it goes on, there's an and. And every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself. We're not supposed to be on cruise control here because once we get there, it'll all be good. Right? No. If we really have a desire to see him as he is there, then that means that while we're here, We're going to try to be like him. As much as possible, I want to get to be like him. I know I can't, but I want to try. It says, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And then I want to close with this. The necessity of a new body. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. It's necessary that we have a new body. Even if you're resurrected, 
something's got to happen to this body in order for you to be there, right? Think about that as we read this. So also, uh, 1542, uh, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first... Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth. This is what we can focus on. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are they that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit corruption. So that's the main thing that we we need to, to notice here, is that he says, this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes into though, I want to just talk to you about the rapture. You could say that's what he, he's like, I'm going to show you a mystery. He says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So not all of us are going to be dying, and be put in the ground or wherever. <laughs> he says, we won't all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Yes. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So, for those of us who are alive and remain, we also are going to be changed. And it happens like that, in the twinkling of an eye. And here's why. For this, incorrupt, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And then this is the, if you would, <laughs> the good verse. <laughs> but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say as Job did, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Do you have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ? One thing that a lot of people don't want to recognize, lost people don't want to recognize, is that all will be raised someday, not just the saints. In Revelation it says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now this isn't, this doesn't happen at the rapture, and we know that. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't happen at, the, at the, the, it's not part of the first resurrection. But it says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, 
and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's no such thing as lost people dying and going to sleep. They're going to be coughed up, if you will. They will still have corruption. (laughs) It's not the same kind of resurrection, but they are going to be brought up to stand before God, and then they will be cast into the lake of fire. And it says this is the second death. But for us who are saved, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Pastor.